Hello and welcome to Dear Sadie. My name is Benny, and if your name is not Sadie or Amelia Prabhu, thank you for tuning in to see what this is all about. And if you are Amelia or Sadie, I'm glad you're still listening. So if this is the first episode you're listening to, this podcast is a love letter to my daughter Sadie through a series of conversations with friends and family on different topics that are important to me, and some I hope that she will find interesting and worth listening to. At the time of recording this, Sadie is just over nine months old, and needless to say, I hope that this will be a gift you will appreciate in the coming years. All right, let's get into this episode. One of the things I hope for my kids is that the world will treat them with kindness and respect, and that my kids will do the same, regardless of how they're treated, not least because of their multiracial heritage and how they identify with and live with it. With Indian and American blood in them, Amelia and Sadie increasingly represent a growing segment of the population and will probably have perspectives and challenges that are very different to their peers. So I enlisted the help of a friend and a former colleague, Sheena Clift, who is a multiracial individual herself, to discuss what it is like to balance multiple cultural backgrounds, challenges that she's had to deal with, and words of advice for Amelia and Sadie. Stay tuned. So Sheena, right off the bat, I want to get into your origin story. So <laughs> I know we've known each other for a while now, but I don't think we've gone, uh, we've talked too deeply about our respective backgrounds. I don't know, maybe you know more about me than I know about you, but I, I'm just curious as far as like, so, you know, the reason that I, I, I wanted to speak with you was I see this commonality between you and my daughters in terms of their background and the life, the lives that they're going to have. And that is your parents, right? You, you have an Indian mother and an American dad, right? Eng English father. English father, so even better. So I wanted to get that perspective of like right from the beginning, let's start from the beginning and what it means to be like, um, to have this identity, this multiracial identity. So uh, let's start with how did your parents meet and uh, go from there? So my dad was um, from, he's from England and he had military a military father and was shipped off to boarding school. And so he, I think he kind of felt like he was always a lone wolf a little bit. Um, cause he, you know, he wasn't brought up in a super warm and fuzzy family. And so he decided that he wanted to go see the world and, okay. um, he became a journalist and was posted. I think his first posting was, uh, Lebanon and he went to Egypt and then eventually he found his way to India um, and he was working at the Delhi office for Reuters, which is a, a news company. 
and my mom was working there too. And so they, um, I guess hit it off and, um, courted or whatever, got together, <laughs> got married. And, um, pretty soon after their, uh, wedding in India, they were posted to Hong Kong. Um, and so that was a big culture shock for my mom because she'd always been, um, she'd always lived in her parents' house. You know, it's kind of the opposite. Indian families are really tight knit and mm -hmm. they're in each other's business all the time. And, um, she ended up moving to this place where she didn't speak the language and she didn't know anyone. And, um, and so right off the bat, like there was a big difference in how my parents, um, saw the world and, and how they felt like they fit in, into the world. Um, and so they, she went back home to have my back to, to Delhi to have my brother. And then shortly after that, um, they were posted to Indonesia where they had me. Um, and she didn't go home to India for my birth. She had me in Indonesia and we moved, um, from Indonesia to the Philippines, the Philippines to India. We lived in uh, Bombay for a while. And then from there we moved back to Indonesia. And then I moved to the U S when I was in seventh grade, when, um, okay my dad was thinking that for high school and college, we kind of needed to put down some roots and, and get settled somewhere. And so my older brother was in eighth grade and my dad wanted him to go to a U.S. high school and then apply to colleges here. So it's just the two of you, just uh, yeah. your brother and you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we're a, a year and 16 days apart. So through okay. all the moving and stuff, we were always really close. Um, so yeah, that was, it was nice to always have a friend around whenever we got packed up all of our boxes and moved somewhere else. It's, it's, it's funny. So you were born at a time when your parents were not necessarily jet setting, but they did travel a lot and moved, yeah. moved about. So it seems like it was this constant state of change Yeah, um, where they had to adapt to the culture, mm -hmm. the way of life, and then they're having kids and it, it does make sense that you that decided at that point, well, <laughs> we can't do this, uh, for a long time that way. But do you remember anything about those, those days? I know you're very young, but you said you moved to the U S when you're in seventh grade. So I'm sure you remember some elements of that prior to moving to the U S is there anything that sticks out in your mind? Any yeah. memories of just adju adjusting to like different, you know, just a different way of life. Yeah, I think it was amazing how, um, I was born into a predominantly Muslim country and then we moved to a really Catholic country and then we moved to a Hindu country and all, everywhere we went, there was conflict, you know, um, when we lived in India, there was a lot of conflict in, uh, between Hindus and Muslims. And, um, when we lived in the Philippines, there was a military coup to overthrow the president of the country. And, and so you see a lot of, um, of turmoil and how people handle it and, and different cultures and, and what they think is important. And, and I think it causes you to really try to f understand why people are the way that they are and, and see them from where they're coming from. And I think it's made me a better. I think I'm a really good listener and I think I'm, um, 
really good at reading people and trying to un and you know understanding what they need um and so i think moving around a lot has helped in that respect fascinating and i want to get back to that in a little bit but let, let's just fast forward to uh was it 2000 2019 late 2019 um I, I, because i really want sadie and amelia to to kind of make a connection as to who I'm speaking with, <laughs> when I'm speaking with her. But uh, I think you should tell us sort of how we met, in what context we met. Do you remember, uh, do you remember that? Do you remember the that whole, that first time you met and uh, your first impressions of me? Well, I think we, so you applied for a job with us um, in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology as a clinical research coordinator. For, at the University of Virginia. At the University of Virginia. Um, and we were working on gynecologic oncology. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember, I honestly don't remember your interview very well. <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> um, and, but I remember, like, I don't remember specifics from your interview, but I remember being like, yeah, this is the guy that we need to hire. Cause we had interviewed quite a few people. Um, and everyone was just like a swing and a miss. And so when you came along, we were like, I can't remember like what you were saying exactly that made it stand out. But I remember that the overall feeling was like, yeah, this is the guy that's going to like come and help us and, and bring some calm to the team. I mean, you know, we worked with Rachel and Anne who are both, not the most calm human beings in the world. Um, <laughs> so, so I remember feeling like, yeah, this guy's gonna like come like level a ship with us a little bit and, and come play on my team where we like to think about things logically and do things slowly and <laughs> intentionally. <laughs> I mean, I remember speaking with, and, uh, you know, well, after I was hired, like, probably a year into the job and I remember asking her like uh, asking her about like what she remembered from the from the interview and why she hired me and she said uh, I just felt that you would bring some calm to the chaos and I was like <laughs> yeah. that does make sense now having yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it does make sense and yes you needed that I actually remember that interview well because this was uh it was only like a few weeks after we had found out uh, that Abigail was pregnant with Amelia. Oh, yeah. And I was in that situation where I was looking for a job and I had applied for so many research roles in the past and I would get to interview like final stages, but never really getting the job. And I remember applying for this job more out of almost desperation. Like I wanted to get into research. I wanted to work in any field. Obstetrics and gynecology was not my favorite right. area. If it was up to me, I would not have chosen that field. Agreed. But it is something that, you know, it was. I looked at it as a foot in the door kind of situation. And I remember when I came in for the interview, you were, I don't know if it was self-appointed or you were chosen, uh, but you were the guide. You were my guide as far as how to get to, because it was like a maze, like that oh, building. Yeah. Uh, in UVA, it's like a maze as far as getting in and out. Um, so you were my guide as far as taking me to the place where we did the interview and then walk me out. And I remember I had to come back again uh, for a second interview later. So 
I, re- I remember that time. And like, like you mentioned, um, uh, and, and Rachel, Rachel, obviously, uh, for listeners, if you have also listened to the Dear Amelia podcast, she, she does come on that as a guest in, in one of the episodes. So Anne, Rachel, you, um, you did this interview off me. And I remember that was also my first time interviewing with multiple interviewers because I've always had like oh, a one-on-one like a interview yeah. and I was not expecting that. I don't think it was communicated to me. So <laughs> I was immediately thinking, oh, great. This is not going to be stressful at all. Um, but I guess I did well because yeah, then you had me come for a second interview um, where I think it was more like a meet the investigators, you know, where I met with um, like some of the doctors who are going to be, who I would be working on the studies as well. So I do remember that time and my time at UVA with you guys was very memorable because a lot of memorable things happened in our, in mine and Abigail's life as well, because that coincided with Amelia being born and us getting settled in Charlottesville and all of that. So and a giant pandemic while your wife was pregnant and a, <laughs> an unforgettable pandemic. And I, I don't know how I, it, I remember when you first joined and we signed you up to go to some conference in California or something like San that. San Diego, yeah. Because none of us wanted to do it. <laughs> so we were yeah. like, we'll send the new guy. Yeah. And then it was like that week that you were on a plane um, flying across the country that the pandemic hit. And we were like, oh, God, what have we done to Ben? No, I remember at the conference, we had all these teams coming from all over the U.S. and some from Canada all these doctors and these research coordinators, they come in and like half of them are just like hacking away. They're like coughing. And then in the news, you're reading about this pandemic. Uh, We didn't know there was a pandemic at that time, but we're reading about this uh, uh, in China. And I'm thinking uh, (laughs) this seems too, you know, like too much of a coincidence. And then like Mm -hmm. a week or two later was it when everything started shutting down. But yes, that's, yeah, that was crazy. I don't know how history will reflect on it. So when Sadie's listening to this, um, probably 20 years plus, um, I don't know how everybody's going to reflect on this time. But yes, living through it and you know living in it, that, that was definitely, yeah, definitely something uh, crazy. So, yeah. but all of that to say, uh, so that was our, that was how we met and how we got to know each other and um also when i how i learned about your background because your name it it's it's not very unique to one you can't peg like just taking your name sheena you can't just peg it saying like okay this is an indian name or um, because that's another habit that you know uh, for people who don't know uh indians or people of indian origin like to you know they see someone and they'll be like they'll see the name and they're like, that doesn't sound Indian or, you know, like that person looks Indian, but it doesn't sound like an Indian name. So we like to try to label people uh, as pretend, you know, they're probably from here based on their name. So, but Sheena is one of those names where it, you could be from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Do Did your parents ever talk to you about why they named you Sheena? So I think it is. So other people have told me that Sheena is an Indian name. Like some of my other friends, like this um, girl that I work with now, she remembered when I signed on, she was like, oh yeah, she has an Indian name. I'll go talk to her. 
Um, so I think it, it's, it's technically of Hebrew origin. And I think it's the okay. female version of the name John, um, huh. which means God's gift. And so, you know, they were spot on. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, did your they... parents feel that way? No, <laughs> you should ask them now. <laughs> yeah. Ask them now. They had a friend whose kid was named Sheena and they just thought it was a really pretty name. It wasn't cool. Yeah. There was yeah. no real, um, story behind it. My middle name oh. is Hazel, which is my grandmother's um, my grandmother on my dad's side, her name was Hazel. Um, and so, yeah, she was a cool lady and I'm glad to be named after her. That's so cool. So let's, let, let's kind of get into it because that's obviously the crux of this episode or the idea for this episode, because so something that I've always thought about, you know, uh, since we, that is me and Abigail had Amelia, our first daughter was how is the world going to be for them? Because yeah. my background is so different compared to Abigail. And so we come together and we have uh, children who are growing up in this environment where I don't know, are they going to be confused? Are they going to struggle with their identity? Do they identify as American or do they identify as this mix of Indian and American? Like how, how is um, the world going to look for them? How are they going to adapt? And so for me, it seemed like you'd be the perfect person to speak with <laughs> about it. Um, so I wanted to ask, like growing up, how did you balance the two cultures you were raised in, right? Like you have the Indian side and then you have the American side. Uh, well, the English side, right? From your dad, but then you're living in America. Mm -hmm. So how did you balance that? Was there any emphasis even, you know, to acknowledge your Indian origin or were you just growing up in this, you know, quote unquote, American, uh, American way? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely something that I thought about. And, um, I grew up when I moved to the U S I was in Northern Virginia. We were inside the DC beltway, which is a very international area. And even before I moved to the U S I always went to international schools. And so there were a lot of people that looked like me. There were a lot of people who were, you know, pretty well educated on um, different cultures and things like that. And so I never really felt different or um, like an outsider or anything um, because of my race. And I had a lot of friends who were from South Asia when I was in middle school and high school. Um, and we did connect over like how strict our Indian parents were. So like my mom is much more strict with me than my dad is. Um, and you know, a lot of them who had two parents from South Asia were, were even, you know, they had it worse than I did in terms of like what they could get away with. And yeah. cause the, you know, they're growing up with American peers, but their parents way of thinking is still a little bit from the old country. So, um, how they dressed curfews, who they could go out with if there were boys around and parents weren't around, like, is that, you know, for their, for those friends, that was an issue. Um, whereas for me, I kind of got away with a little bit more because my dad was like, 
we're living in America. Our kids have American mindsets and we need to kind of follow those norms. Otherwise they're going to be really confused. My dad's actually very cognizant of being able to assimilate to the culture that he's living in because he moved around so much. And, um, so I think, you know, he was like, it's fine for Sheena to have a car and it's fine for her to have a, the same curfew as her brother. My mom wanted to make my curfew two hours earlier than my brother's curfew. And my dad was like, no, that's, that's not okay. You know, you got to yeah. treat them the same. And, and just cause she's a girl doesn't mean that, um, you have to be more strict with her. And so, um, I, I didn't really find it to be a struggle in terms of, of like the social aspect of my life, but internally I kind of feel like I have missed out on some of my mom's culture. Mm. You know, she never taught me to speak Hindi because we were moving around the world. And so she was like, let's just do English and then whatever um, language of the place that we're in, you can try and learn some of that. So, cause usually the international school that we went to, like when I was in, in Indonesia, they made us do some European language. So either French or German, and they made you learn the local language. So I was taking, I was, you know, I spoke English and I was taking French and, um, German and Bahasa Indonesia. So my mom was like, we're not going to add another language to that. And she saw actually, it was very confusing for my brother when he was in um, Indonesia the first time learning to speak, he would speak Indonesian to his nanny. Mm -hmm. And then when he moved to the Philippines as like a two or three year old or something like that, he was completely confused because no one understood what he was saying and it was really frustrating. And so I think that experience is why my mom didn't add in Hindi. And so I, I, I'm actually really sad that I don't know Hindi (laughs) and I feel like that's a way that I could connect with her side of the family, which many of them speak English, but they most like when we would go to India and visit her family, a lot of them would speak to each other in Hindi. It's, uh, um, you know, funny because it's funny you mentioned that because I remember um, when I, before me and Abigail got married, I think this was probably only like a short while before I proposed to her even. I, I was in India visiting my relatives um, and I won't say on which side, just in case I'm listening, but <laughs> um, a couple of my aunts were like, why are you marrying an American? And I'm like, why? Uh, why not? And they were like, well, if you get married to an American and you have kids, they're not going to know how to speak Tamil. Uh, they're going to visit and they're going to speak in English. And we understand English, but we're not going to be fluent. And so we're never going to be too close. close. We, we yeah. won't get to be close with them because there's always exactly. going to be that barrier. And at that point, I laughed it off thinking that's like one of the silliest reasons I would be like, ah, you know what? I don't want to marry uh abigail because of this language barrier that my uh future kids are going to have with my relatives in india but you know i i I do see their point and i do see you know like 
I'm thinking at it out of that perspective when whenever my kids visit India, visit our extended family in India, I want them to have that connection. And it's it's something that me and Abigail have discussed. You like, um, yes, we will make some sort of effort to kind of teach them how to speak. Um, mm -hmm. Well, when I say we, it's me. Yeah. Abigail said it's all you. So I will have to teach uh, the girls um, at least conversational Tamil so that they can, you know, connect with their family. Like that, that is also a way that I see, because that's important to me that they have some idea of their roots. Yeah. Um, because, you know, once they grow, they marry, they have kids and, and that line propagates, there is no saying how long that, you know, future, like my descendants are going to care or even like bother about that Indian connection, so to speak. Uh, but at least for my kids, I want them to have that, to have mm -hmm. some sort. Uh, and it's interesting to see like from your mom's perspective, like that's good reasoning. I, I know you you look at that as like, man, I wish I knew how to speak Hindi that I could connect. Yeah. You're also missing out on some Bollywood films, I think. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, I do understand that rational and I, I, you know, there are some downsides to that, but I think it highlights the fact that everyone's situation is just a little unique. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense in your context is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I feel like if you don't speak the language, you don't feel like you belong, you know, because mm. like communication is so much a part of feel a feeling of belonging. And so like, I, right. I know that I, Genetically, I'm 50% Indian and I know some things about the high festivals and some of like Hindu mythology and things like that, but, and I can cook some Indian food, but I don't feel like super Indian, you know, like I, I feel like it, when I go to India, I feel like an outsider. I was going to say, yeah. And when I go to England, I feel like an outsider because I don't sound English and I don't, you know, I don't particularly, I mean, everyone in England. England is like half Indian now, probably, but, um, you know, I don't particularly look English. I don't sound English. And so I think now I'm more American than any of those two other things. Yeah. I recently got my citizenship in 2018. So what were you before then? Like English? English. I, I have cool. dual citizenship now. Okay. But like culturally, I feel most connected here except for when the u.s does embarrassing things and then i'm like <laughs> <laughs> but i was going to ask about that sense of belonging because you know like i mentioned earlier like that's the number one concern that i have for my kids is as they grow older they're going to see you know most of the kids that they hang out with or most of the people they you know they see are not going to look like them and their background is probably not going to be the same. Um, and if people ask them about like, what are you? Or mm -hmm. like, where are you from? You know, like, how do they answer it? Or do they care? Will they care? Or will, yeah. is that something that's going to affect them? So have so you... So that's a, an interesting thing because you hear a lot now, people get offended when someone's like, what are you and where are you from? And that sort of thing. Um, but I love when people ask me that because mm -hmm. I can, 
be like, oh yeah, this is something different. And I'm telling, I'm telling you about something that you don't really know that much about and you know, you can share it. Um, but some people get offended because I guess the question is a little bit like you're something different or you you know, you're different from the rest of us kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah. And then I get a lot of, are you Spanish or are you Mexican? Like that sort of thing. Like when I was in the hospital, so many of the Spanish speaking patients would come up to me and ask me questions. And I, Oh, I've, I've had that in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I remember at a checkout counter or at a grocery store, I remember checking out and this person was speaking to me in Spanish and I was like, I don't know Spanish. And she looked so offended and I had to explain that I, I'm Indian and yeah. she got even more confused anyway. Yeah. But I, I do get that. Um, and I, and I think it should, be easier in in a way maybe in the future right because we're talking in the context of probably what the last 20 years 25 mm -hmm. years but uh, i wonder if it will be a lot different in the following 20 25 years because okay. here's something interesting that I, I came across so apparently in in 1993 um the cover of time magazine they they had this digitally rendered face uh, which is a supposed mix of several races um, and it created this lightly tinted brown-skinned woman and they called that the new face of america mm -hmm. um, and how immigrants are shaping the world's first multicultural society um, 30 years later the u.s has had a multiracial president uh, vice president um, and you see a lot more prominent faces in media you know both in films, television, or even like in entertainment, politics, all of that. Uh, and then in a 2015 Pew study, nearly half of all multiracial Americans were under 18 years old, which leads me to believe that in 20, 25 years, maybe it's not going to be as almost as unique as people mm -hmm. would see that now. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as to what your feelings are as a multiracial person is that something that you even like think about care about like how the makeup of the united states looks like in the next two to three decades i mean i never really thought about it. i don't have my own kids so i never really thought about it until my nephew was born he was born in september of 2022 and so he's half russian and now a quarter indian and, and a quarter english and mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, it's, I think it's wonderful how America has a pool of immigrants and people are mixing and, and I think it's true that, um, we're going to look more multiracial in the future. And I think, um, it's going to be less interesting and I'm hoping that people don't have to talk about race for too much longer you know it'd yeah. be nice if we could talk about things that are um a little more under the surface than that yeah. um but i think culture is a different thing i think traditions and culture um should be passed down and i i hope for my nephew and for your kids that um they get traditions from, from both sides of the family, you know, like I'm excited to, in, we've already started to incorporate some of the Russian traditions into our family. You know, we celebrate Orthodox Easter and we always um, 
try to do something on Orthodox Christmas, uh, even though we've just celebrated traditional Christmas. Um, and so I think that it'll give an opportunity for this country to, you know, educate themselves on more cultures as people start to mix a little bit more and um, hopefully open eyes and ears and minds to um, different backgrounds and different traditions. I agree. And, and that is my hope as well, that it becomes less of this novelty yeah, and more like it's just another person, just, an, just a different looking person maybe, but just another American or even like even if they're not American, they're just, uh, you know, something unique about them. Um, and I, I agree to your point of passing on, you know, traditions and, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe in being very strict about it. Um, and I, and I'm, I know that every family unit is going to be very different in how they, uh, expect their kids to grow up. Um, but I'm saying this on the record. So when <laughs> Sadie listens to this, uh, in the future, she's like, wait a minute, you said this back then. So <laughs> even with that, um, um, my, my idea is what, you know, as a, as a girls grow, grow up, um, I want them to be themselves, be their unique selves, create their own stories and not be held back by some arbitrary, like expectation that's mm -hmm. been set on them. Um, but do you I mean do the doctor, lawyer or engineer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I do. I do tease my uh, wife sometimes saying like, she has to become a doctor. Otherwise, <laughs> what, what sort of Indian am I? If I'm not expecting it off her. Uh, no, but I went the other way and said, well, if not a doctor, maybe she can play cricket. Uh, <laughs> which was also not met with, uh, you know, great enthusiasm. But all of that to say, I want them, I, I want to like pass on, you know, like, for example, I want to teach them Tamil. I want mm -hmm. them to watch like Indian movies and, you Enjoy know, watch Indian cricket. Food. Absolutely. That's like very, very important. And, uh, Amelia already loves dosa. So, mm -hmm. um, and I'm expecting the same from Sadie as well. So I want to like include all of those parts of me, like parts, those roots, you know, and beyond that, I want to leave it up to them. Do they want to have uh, more of that in their lives? Like, do they want to make more of an effort to like learn the language, like to both to read and write? Uh, do they want to like visit India more often? Because sometimes what can be lost in multiculturalism is you can pay more attention to like one part of you. Uh, because I, I try to remember that there's also Abigail's side in this, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not just about the Indian part of it. It's also about learning more about, you know, Abigail's side of the family and the cultures that are unique to them, the traditions that are unique to them. So I want them to have that experience as well. I want them to have both. I want them to have best of both worlds. And mm -hmm. um, so that is what I envision for them. And I think it's just really nice um in that way you know if there's anything uh, to it about being a multiracial person is that you're exposed to 
multiple cultures, multiple mm-hmm. backgrounds, multiple ways of life that others don't. Yeah. And so it's just about making use of that. So, um, I was just going to say to the girls, like that can serve you really well in terms of being able to, um, understand different people and where they come from and be more accepting. Um, so I would take advantage of that. Well, Sheena, thank you so much for making, making time. I feel like we, we could go on, but, um, I think this is really a good way to, um, kind of sum it up because I want to hear from someone who, you know, obviously it's a different time for them. It's a different generation, right? Like in 20, 30 years, who knows? Their challenges are probably going to be unique, something that we don't even know yet. Right. <laughs> um, but it's good to, I, I mean, I'm always a big believer in learning from history and learning from the experiences of others. And I really hope through this conversation, they've got a grasp or got just a little, uh, got a little idea of how someone else did it. Mm-hmm. way before yeah. um and also like in, in a way also know a little more about their dad um <laughs> through my interaction with you uh and all of that so uh so yeah thank you for making some time and having this conversation yeah thanks for seeking me out this was fun and that's it for this episode Thanks again to Sheena for dropping in for a quick chat that I hope you all found illuminating and useful. Up next, I'm going to be speaking with a pastor and community leader in Charlottesville on the most important facet of my life, faith. Till then, thanks for listening. And your Sadie, Appa loves you. Dear Sadie